0: I've entitled the message, I know, therefore I do. And I was reminded of a gentleman, his name was Larry Walters. He was bored with life. Many years ago, he decided as he was sitting in the backyard of his house in uh, Los Angeles, California, he decided that he wanted to uh, have an adventure. So he went out and bought some, uh, some balloons, weather balloons, and filled them with helium. He was so bored he tied his lawn chair to the ground. This is a true story. You can look it up, I'm not making it up. He had his neighbors hold his lawn chair to the ground. He decided that he was bored and he was gonna go up about 100 feet over his neighborhood and just do a flyby because he was bored with life. He loved peanut butter, he loved jelly, so he made himself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and he loved a six pack of Pepsi. I think he had too many six packs of Pepsi based on what I'm fixing to tell you next. Not only did he go up with peanut butter and jelly, and not only did he go up with uh, Pepsi, but he went up with a BB gun because his idea and his theology and his mindset was, I'll just fly and hover a little bit above my community, and with the BB gun, when I get too high, I'll start shooting the balloons with the BB gun, and it'll keep me at a certain level, and I can drop. And so that's kind of the idea. Well, 11,500 feet later, airplanes were coming in, Continental DC-10s, we're radioing the tower and saying there's a man in a lawn chair with helium balloons with a peanut butter sandwich and a six packs of Pepsi, and he couldn 't even find his gun because once you get that high you 've lost everything now that 's a true story, and I got to thinking. When they interviewed him, finally helicopters had to rescue him. It was a big deal. They shut down LAX airport just to retrieve this guy back to earth in reality. And they said, and they asked him after they interviewed him, they said, why did you do this? Now, you'll, you're going to love this answer. He said, because, just because. See, he was bored with his life. He had no purpose He had no meeting. He said, I just want to have a thrill. Well, he got a thrill all right. But let me tell you something about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. You will not get bored, and it is the thrill of a lifetime to be able to teach this text and to live this text because this is what the Christian life is really all about. I know, therefore I do. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read the text together, and then we'll come back. And as my predecessors say, unpack this text. Here we go. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil therefore do not be unwise but understand the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs that's interesting if you're interested in music I'll bring up something there that will probably give me several emails it's okay and it says here, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss this, 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. I know, therefore I do. Look what the text says. See then that you walk Circumspectly, not as fools, but as wives. So, Paul's been talking about our walk. Our walk is a lifestyle, it's a lifestyle of behavior because our identity is in Christ. Our activity is now fleshed out by walking, putting one foot in front of the other, and our lifestyle is the issue. It's how you live and what you believe that causes you to live the way that you do. So, it's about our lifestyle. Paul has hit walk from several different angles, and that's what he's doing again. See then that you walk. When you get saved you begin to take new steps of a new faith and you begin to walk differently. Don't tell me that you trust Christ as your savior and you're not changed. That's not Bible. You are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you won't fall. It doesn't mean that you won't have fear. It doesn't mean you won't falter. But your walk is different because the one inside of you who is walking and living inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit has a different walk than the world has. So he lives in you. So when Paul says, see then that you walk, He's talking about a walk in Jesus Christ. And then he uses a term circumspectly. And what this, what this uh, word means, it means to walk accurately, precisely, and definitely. That's what it means in the original language. To walk accurately, precisely, and definitely. Uh, let me give you an example. When you're in your kitchen and you drop a glass from the shelf or from the counter and the glass breaks on the tile, all of a sudden your walk changes. You began to walk circumspectly. You began to walk in a definite way. You began to walk in an accurate way and you began to walk in a precise way. Now, do you see what Paul is saying here? You walk accurately, you walk precisely, you walk definitely Because that's who Jesus is, and his walk is one of preciseness, of definiteness, if that's even a word, and accurateness, if that's even a word. And by the way, for those of you that I got three towels this morning, uh, for those of you that really care about me, the only thing is the TV said they need to be black so they don't mess up the TV. So anyway, I got this towel from my friend Gene. Thank you very much. I'll probably need it as I go back to English today. So here we go. And learn, uh, well, all my teachers taught me well, so... Paul is saying, I want you to get this understanding, if, if you wanna take the text, I know, therefore I do, then we have to walk in a manner that is worthy of the call of Christ. We don't walk in a manner that draws attention to us, we walk in a manner that draws attention to him. That's the purpose of our walk. We used to walk the way we wanted to walk so people could see us and glorify us and say good things about us, but now, listen, our walk has changed because our heart has changed and our behavior has changed. Now, for, now, therefore, we don't walk so people can see us. We walk so people can see him in us, right? That's what Paul's saying. Walk circumspectly. Now, not as fools, but as unwise. Now, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So we used to walk in a foolish manner. You might think that that's an IQ thing. It has nothing to do with having a high IQ or a low IQ. It has to do with being a fool. Now, here's what I know. As a sinner... I was a fool for too long. I was a sinner too long, and I acted as a fool too long. So what I want to do is not act like a fool anymore. I want to act like the faith that lives in me, Jesus Christ, and therefore my walk is different. So I spent a lot of days foolish living, but now I spend my days working the works of him who worked grace in my life. So when you're not a fool, you're walking by faith. So we don't need to be foolish. We need to be faithful. But be, but be wise, he says, but as a wise person. So that, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. A lot of people have a lot of knowledge. Some of you may have notes back to 1966 when the church started. And I know people that have notebooks full of, full of notes. But the, the notes in the notebook never get off the page, so they impact their life. But if, they, if you ask them, if they're wise, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, look at my notebook. I've got sermon upon sermon upon sermon upon sermon. And God says, listen, you're going to stay a little minnow all your life. The way you get a whale-sized blessing is you take the knowledge that God has given you and you flesh it out in wisdom. Wisdom comes from God, not from man. And so Paul says to walk not as a fool but as wise. And then he says in verse 16, look at the text, redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, once you begin to walk circumspectly, you begin to have an intuition that the days are evil and you begin to redeem the time. Redeeming the time doesn't mean to uh, buy time. That's not what the text means because time is a gift. Listen to me carefully. Time is a gift. So we don't buy time, but we redeem the time, which means to buy back the time that we've been given. Because the time we've been given is given to us as a gift. Just like salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift to receive the salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, it's also the gift of time that he gives us. Listen carefully. So when you and I go on vacation and we go to work, We're already in Hawaii in our mind, and the clock at work moves really, really slow, doesn't it? I mean, we're thinking, I'm already on the boat. I'm already on the plane. And we look at the clock, and we think, is it only two o'clock? I've got another couple of hours or, or whatever, three hours, whatever it is. And then sometimes with time, listen carefully, with time, you're working really hard and you're working, and you look up at the clock and you go, Where has all the time gone? Do you see the two differences in time? Now, listen, here's the important point of that. Time, the time on the clock has not changed. What has changed is your activity and your perspective on time. And that's important because Paul is telling us to redeem the time to redeem the time because the days are evil. What he's saying is use every opportunity that you have to live for Jesus Christ, to allow Jesus to live through you. Buy back time means redeeming the time, seizing the moment of what God has given us. So when you think about Sagemont Church and our pastor and many that have served with him, it's about redeeming the time. It's about the opportunities that are existential. They're in the now. See, when an opportunity comes for you and for me, and maybe this morning for you, the opportunity comes to you to receive Jesus as your savior. And all you have to do to redeem that time is bow before him and say, Jesus, save me, I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my heart. That's how quick time can be redeemed. But when you think about Sagemont and the history and what God has done here, uh, the number of baptisms, and I I was in the 930, and I think I'm I'm getting close on this, 18,000 people somewhere in that range that have been baptized at Sagemont Church in some way, form, or fashion in this church, maybe at the cross, maybe in the old sanctuary, maybe in the chapel, but 18,000 people, 20,000 people that have given their heart to Jesus Christ, give or take This church has allowed, God has allowed $362 million flow through this church when Brother John mentioned the budget for the first year when the church started was $33,000. And they were $3,000 short and Pasadena, first Pasadena gave $3,000 to Sagemont so they could be okay. Now think about that. You talk about redeeming the time. You talk about seizing the opportunity. And so what I would say to you is we have a great opportunity today to redeem the time, to buy back the time, to say all glory goes to God. But God, there's a moment, there's an opportunity when we have to respond. So what happens when opportunities come is oftentimes we just get paralyzed and we don't move at all. And then the other part of it is we move too quickly. But if you're gonna redeem time, you move exactly when God tells you to move. You do exactly what God tells you to do. You trust him because he's the one that's got all time in his hands. So the opportunity today for you to be obedient to the Lord, maybe it's in baptism. We're gonna be baptizing at the cross tonight. If you need to be baptized, if you've trusted Christ as your savior, or you're just not sure about, you have trusted Christ as your savior. Go to the Connection Center right outside in the four-year lobby area. Just turn right or left out of these doors and go in and talk to some people that can help you, that can tell you about Jesus and make sure you know that you're saved. Make sure you understand believer's baptism. And it's not too late to even be baptized at the cross today, John Mark told me. So you can go take care of that after the service. But that's what Paul's saying here. He's talking about redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now look at verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So when you're walking circumspectly, look at the text, when you're redeeming the time, then you can know what the Lord's will is. You see, because a lot of people get stuck right here. They want what they want. Here's what people say today. I want him or I want her or I want this job, or I want that job. And then they switch and say, I don't want him, I don't want her, I don't want that job, I don't want this situation. And so all of our I want to's, listen carefully, and all of our don't want to's should lead us to the point where the issue is not what I want or what I don't want. The issue is that I would understand God's will. And when I understand God's will, and you understand God's will, guess what? It's exactly what I wanted in the first place. I just didn't know it. So when I walk with God and you walk with God and we surrender to God, his will is revealed in his person. We think of God's will as going from point A to point B, but that's not God's will. God's gonna guide you from point A, here's a stop here, and he's gonna take you to point B. Jesus is not a pointer of the way. He is the way. Let me see if I can explain it like this. If you want to understand God's will, understand who Jesus is because Jesus is God and he lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Recently, I've come back on staff here and Uh, I was headed to the medical center one day, and I got all messed up because somebody said, just take a right here and take a left here, go to Spurlock Tower, go over here, park across here. You could take the ramp across to MD Anderson. I was there for five hours, and people were just pointing the way to me. But then the other day, Emory said, get in the car with me. And I will tell you where to turn, and we will get exactly where we need to go. And it dawned on me. That's what Jesus does. When you invite Christ to come into your heart, he's not a pointer of the way. He gets into your life. He gets into the car with you, and he says, take a left, take a right, stop, move here, pay the fee, go back. What I loved about Emory is he had this special stash where you go or a place that you go where they stamp your card and you don't have to park for a whole lot of money. It's free just for him. But here's my point. To understand God's will, you have to walk in a manner that's worthy circumspectly. You have to seize opportunities that you have, and then you can understand the will of the Lord. That's what the text says. So when you understand what the will of the Lord, the key to understanding the will of the Lord is the word understand. When you understand God's will, you understand God. And when you understand God, you understand his word. For 53 years, this church has been built around the centrality of Jesus Christ being the focus and his word. Not only do we have the living word in Jesus, but we have his written word. And this church has never compromised on this word. Our pastor believes it. I'm telling you, I believe it. The staff believes it. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. And we believe God's word. And so when we read God's word, we let God's word read us because it's true and it's accurate. So if you want to understand God's will today, then you need to understand God, and God is revealed in his word, and he loves you. That's the revelation. So it's a revelation that Jesus loves me, that God loves me, and then out of the revelation of who God is, the response I have is just to bow before him and say, Jesus, do what only you can do in my life. Man, God's will is for you to be saved. God's will is for you to be baptized. God's will is for you to move and put your foot in front of the other and trust that God has your foot and he's going to put it down. God's will is a person. So you desire the things that you desire, but the desire that you desire is really the desire that he has put in you through his word. So that's what Paul's saying here. So that's what he says. That's verse 17. Now, and do not, verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So when a person is drunk with wine, wine controls them. And here's what happens. And it's not by my example. It's just because I know people like this. So when you're drunk with wine, then what happens is you have a hangover. And when you have a hangover, that hangover ends and you're in a mess. You just feel terrible. People say, I just feel terrible. I just feel like a Mack truck has hit me. So that would be being filled with wine. There's a hangover, then there's an end to the hangover. Watch this. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, there's never a hangover, and He stays with you all the way through, and you are filled, not to fill a void with alcohol, you are filled with the Spirit, because when He came into you, He fills you and He satisfies you. That's what Paul's saying. Beautiful. That's what he's saying in the text. So he says, be filled. Now look at the text. Do not be drunk with wine. He contrasts, he couples this, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what that word filled means with the Spirit means a present tense, which means continually be filled with the Spirit. And not only is it a continual present tense, be filled with the Spirit, but it is in the passive voice. And in the passive voice, that means that I can't do something for myself. God has to do this for me. So I allow God to fill me in my life. Salvation, when Christ comes in, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. Christ comes in, you have the Spirit of God. But as we continually walk circumspectly in this world, we need continual fillings of the Holy Spirit, which is present tense, passive, which means he's got to do it, and it means it's a command. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't sin. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can't sin because you are filled with Him. And He does not sin. He was perfect. The perfect sacrifice who paid for our sin now lives in us. So when I'm filled with the Spirit, I can't sin. So the last time I can say in my life when I wasn't filled with the Spirit is when I sinned. That's when I sinned that's when I stumbled, that's when I fell. When I wasn't continually being filled with the Spirit, when I didn't acknowledge his power and his presence in my life, that's when I stumbled and that's when I fell. So Paul says continually be filled with the Spirit, continually be filled with the Spirit. This will be an old school illustration, but do you remember Alka-Seltzer? It still works, by the way. I had pizza last night, about two in the morning, I went and popped Alka-Seltzer, And uh, I thought it was the Spirit filling me at two, but it really wasn't. It was pizza uh, coming back up. And so, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. And so, here's what you have to understand about the filling. Listen carefully. The filling of the Spirit. So, Christ lives in us, but we continually ask Him to fill us with His Spirit. Is it octane 91? Is it octane 92? 89, 91, or 93 at the gas pump. Which one do I fill up? The point is, just put the gas in, because when you put the gas in the car, it permeates the whole car. When you put the Alka-Seltzer in the water, it fizzes and it permeates the whole bottle or the whole uh, glass. And that's the idea what the Spirit does in our lives and so the spirit fills us afresh and anew and we're to continually walk circumspectly understanding the will of the Lord and understanding that we're to be filled with the spirit and not controlled by anything else this is important in our church in our lives in our marriages in our friendships if we were filled with the spirit could you imagine the difference that it could make all of us filled with the spirit that's what Paul's saying here Then he says, here's some characteristics that uh, talk about being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, these are some things that will flow out of your life because you've been permeated by the Spirit of God in your life. First of all, we'll speak to one another. That's what the text says, speaking to one another. So one of the characteristics of living a Spirit-filled life is we speak to one another. So when you leave here today, speak to somebody. Because when you're speaking, it's the characteristic that you're filled. Don't walk down the hallway with your head buried. Speak to one another. It's a look, it's a word, and it's a touch. Brother John's been saying that from the foundation. Speak to people. So Paul says, that's right. He got it from the Bible. Speak to one another. Now notice what the text says. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That sounds like a blend to me. Psalms hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you know we do all three of those in this service? Do you know in the 930 they do all three of those? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you know how many churches have split over the style of music? Well, Paul knew that that would be an issue, so he addressed the issue in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, And churches who aren't filled with the Spirit will go to war over styles of music, but music is not for you, it's for God. And so if music is not for you and it's for God, then we can speak to one another and we can sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you know, this is going to floor some of you, do you know I'm just as much of a worship leader as Misty and Jordan and the team? That's right. Because somebody who's lost may look over at me, and if I'm not singing, you know what they're going to think? It's not worth it. You're a worship leader too, where you sit. If you don't open your mouth, that's okay. Sing it in your heart. Tap your toe. Knock it down. Do whatever it takes. But the beautiful thing about it is, we don't sing a bunch of songs in order to get ready for the message. We sing songs because the purpose of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is worship to God. The, The songs aren't to prep you for the message. The songs are to worship God. The message is for you to worship God, to focus on God. So Paul knew we would have that issue of division, so he brings us to the unifying factor of being filled with the Spirit, and then worship is not about what we get, it's what we give to God. Think about that. And then he says, look at verse 19, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I've heard good worship before that has no melody and no heart for the Lord. Not here but other places. I mean, good, talented, gifted people who didn't walk with Jesus. They were just putting them on the stage and saying, perform for me, perform for me. Listen, we're not here to perform for anybody. There's only one audience, and that's him. So whether it's me, Brother John, whether it's the staff, whether it's the worship team, we're here to honor him. We're just using our giftedness. And so the songs that we sing are songs of worship. So Paul says one of the characteristics of being Filled with the Spirit is we'll live a life of worship. Notice the second thing. We'll also give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of whining, instead of complaining, we are thankful people because we're filled with the Spirit. Is that not right? We're just thankful. And when you're thankful, you have room to be more thankful because when you have a thankful attitude and gratitude for all, God that's, all that He's done for us, then you make room for more thankfulness in your life, and then you're thankful upon thankful, and then you're thankful to Him because you would never be thankful if it wasn't for Him being thankful in our lives because He saved us by His grace. So that's the idea. When you think about thankfulness, you've got to think about Him because he's the one that is the ultimate about thankfulness. So that's what he says here. So when you're filled, you'll be singing, you'll be thankful. Now, look at the last one, and I'll close with this. You'll be submissive. Oh, that one hurts. Oh, no, you've gone far enough. I'll speak to somebody. Okay, I'll speak to them before we leave. I'll even be thankful that I have to speak to them. Because I don't even like the person that I'm fixing to speak to, but God says to do it, so I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit. No, the problem is you're filled with yourself. Empty yourself out, allow the Spirit to fill you, and then it'll flow like a river. But then you talk to me about submissiveness. Submissiveness means to place or position my life under somebody's authority. Now watch this. Notice what the text says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of the fear of God. My submissiveness to you and your submissiveness to me and our submissiveness to one another is not because we're such great people. It's because God has given us a pattern of thankfulness and a pattern of submission. Watch this. Jesus and God were totally equal. But Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to God And he was equal with God, because he was God. And that's what we do in our fellowship. We submit to one another, not because we're great people, but we are being submissive to one another because of the submission of Christ. And so we don't act on a person. We don't judge a person. We're submissive to one another. Do you know how important this is? Because next week he says, wives, submit. Wait a minute. But guess what? We're already submitted to one another. That's what the text says. That's no big deal. I promise you it's no big deal. Because Paul says you're already submitted to one another. So when we're submitted to one another, we have a higher calling. We understand that we have positioned or placed our life underneath the authority of God. And so just like Jesus willingly submitted to God, I have willingly submitted to Jesus my life. I'm under a new authority. I'm under his umbrella of protection and power and grace. And I submit to him out of the fear of God. What that means is this. Out of reverence for all God has for me, I submit to you. So I fear God and i fear hurting god and i fear disappointing god because god has placed his fear in me and i'm talking about a healthy fear now i'm talking about the fear in jeremiah 3240 where god has planted fear in his people so god plants a spirit of fear inside of me in this way that i really do Uh, want to honor Him. And I really do want to obey Him. And I fear doing anything that would dishonor His name. So that kind of fear is a healthy fear. And I'm afraid in churches today, we've lost a healthy fear of God. And we can't submit to one another because we don't fear God anymore. And we just think God is this cosmic killjoy up there. Listen, He's holy God. And when you start fearing Him and reverencing Him, and we do this together, guess what? We submit to one another. Man, think about that. That's what Paul's saying here. So we can serve one another out of a pure heart. We can serve one another because we love God, because we're submitted to one another. Let me close with this illustration. Do you remember in the 70s a service station? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you pulled up to get gas? I may have shared this, but I don't remember it, and you don't either. So we're good. you would would go into a service station and you would go over the the little uh, ding-ding thing, (laughs) the little cable. The little cable, when the car would drive over the little cable, it would go ding-ding, and you woke up the service attendant who was sitting inside the office. And that meant that you were there. And so what he did was he came out and he said, may I help you? And you said, yes, please fill it up. But while he was filling the car up, He was also asking you, can I check your windshield wipers? Yes, you can. Can I check your oil? Yes, you can. Can I check your air pressure? Yes, you can. Do you know that service stations don't make money on gasoline? You know where they make money on? Selling more oil, selling more tires, and selling more wiper windshield blades. Because, see, it's in the service business. So if we can understand together as a body... As we submit to one another, we're in the service business together, right? We we serve one another. We do whatever it takes. We had a motto here when I was a student pastor, and it was whatever it takes. Well, that was cutting edge, wasn't it? And whatever it takes meant this: whatever the need is, whatever it takes, without compromising the gospel. Let's let God serve through us. Let's let God submit. Let's allow God to submit uh, for us to have a submissive spirit through us. So that we can serve one another. Because if we don't have a submissive spirit, then we have disunity. If we have a submissive spirit and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we have unity. Now watch this. You say, I don't have a submissive spirit. Well, I'm going to back you up here. You can't get to verse 21 until you go to verse 20. So if you go to if you if you don't have a submissive spirit I'm going to tell you this morning you don't have a thankful spirit because that comes before submission. And if you don't have a thankful spirit, you don't have what is in verse 19, you don't have a speaking spirit. You're not speaking to one another in Psalms hy- hymns and spiritual songs. And if you don't have a speaking to one another spirit, I want to go back to the point, are you being filled continually with the spirit of God? Cuz if you're being filled continually with the spirit of God, you have a speaking spirit, you have a thankful spirit and and you have a submissive spirit. I didn't write that Paul did. So as we move forward what, with whatever God has for us after 53 years, and God's in control of our church, and our pastor has done such a tremendous job, and he shared these statistics, and I can't remember them all, but how God has used Sagemont to really touch people's lives. Let's continue to be the church, right? The church is not a building, it's people. This is a nice building, but the church is not a building. It's people. And that involves you, and that involves me, being submissive to one another. Have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? Have you really, in this moment, has there come a point in time in your life where you have submitted your heart to the Lord? Have you placed or positioned your life under His Lordship? If you haven't, you can do that today. You can trust Christ as your Savior. And that's the most important thing. We want you to know Jesus is a relationship and that He loves you with a passionate love. So would you bow your head this morning and if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just, in these moments, as we get ready to dismiss, we have baptism at the cross tonight, but you can be baptized and not be saved. The most important thing is that you submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are filled with His Spirit. And Jesus came to this earth so that He could die in order that He might be buried and that He could be raised on the third day so that He could come into your life and take over. If you'd like to submit your life to Jesus in this moment, if you sense God calling you to a relationship with Him, would you just say a prayer like this? Dear Jesus, save me. Save me from myself. I know this moment. I'm broken. I've made mistakes. But those mistakes don't have to define me. And the best way I know how I repent of my sin, I turn and I place and position my life under your authority and your Lordship. I receive the free gift of salvation. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.